You hear that? Your dog knows spring is coming sooner than you think. Dog walks, dog parks, playing fetch, all the stuff your dog loves to do with you. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas and ticks are in the grass, in the woods, and even on their dog friends. Fleas are an itchy nuisance, can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot, but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMeds has your furry friend protected with the best products to prevent flea and ticks all year long. PetMeds pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. And PetMeds AutoShip helps you save even more with additional discounts on regular shipments of PetMeds, dog food, and other high-quality supplies. So get ready for all the spring fun now. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com and promo code PODCAST. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week, it is probably one of the most chilling videos you will ever see. It is a man stuffed in a suitcase as part of some sick, drunken hide-and-seek game that ends up killing him. Watch the suitcase as it wiggles on the floor and listen to his pleas for help as he calls out for his girlfriend, Sarah. Sarah, I can't breathe, baby. That's on you. Sarah, I can't breathe. (laughs) It's on you. Actually, that's on you, Sarah, because the police have charged you with second-degree murder. But now she says that she is the real victim here, a victim of domestic violence. But first, a Colorado dentist is accused of killing his wife by poisoning her protein shakes. But this isn't the first time, according to court records. Police say that he actually tried to poison his wife several years ago, and she caught him. So this time, when the wife, who's also a mother of six, started to feel sick, she sent her husband a text asking if he had drugged her. The dentist wrote back, quote, Given our history, that must be triggering. Well, police say that is beyond triggering. It is murder one. We are recording this on Wednesday, March 29th of 2023. Our guest today is Caitlin Becker, senior reporter for the Daily Mail, who you can watch doing commentary on all the big cases on KTLA, Court TV, and just about every other outlet out there. Caitlin, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. We've got some doozies to talk about today. 
We do. And I know that you are just such an excellent reporter who digs so deep that you've got so much to share with us. I'll just do a little bit of what we're dealing with here. And then you, you, you just, I'm going to sit back and listen to you (laughs) because I know you've got, I know there's some late breaking information that's been coming out about his finances, the, the dentist here. It's It's insane. Okay. So what our first case that we're talking about is out of Aurora, Colorado, where a dentist is accused of poisoning his wife so he could start a new life with his mistress who happens to be an orthodontist from Texas. Okay, they've been having the secret affair. Now, according to court documents, the the dentist has a wealth of digital evidence that he has left behind, including things like poisoning, not only the poison, but where he bought the poison, when it was delivered by Amazon, um, Googling things like, quote, How many grams of pure arsenic will kill a human and be undetectable in an autopsy? We're talking about 45-year-old Dr. James Craig, who goes by Jim, and he has been arrested for the murder of his wife, 43-year-old Angela Craig. They've been married for more than 20 years. They have six children, ranging in ages from 8 to 21. Caitlin, the thing here is the fact that it appears he tried to poison her once before. And it seems that he tried to poison her multiple times leading up to with different poisons leading up to ultimately her death. It's almost as if he I mean, we're also assuming this is all allegedly he is accused. He's not convicted. But it is almost as if the evidence is showing that he tried with certain things and they didn't work as effective enough. So he kept kind of upping the ante until he got the result that ultimately it seems like he wanted. And the disturbing part, not only is this his wife, not only is this the mother of his children, right? But the text messages that have been released, copies of these exchanges between him and her, where she's saying, I don't feel well. And he's calling her, hey, babe, right? I'll take you to the hospital. I'll sit with you. Uh, Being the doctor, the dentist, trying to figure out what's going on. So to see what appears to be a very fake conversation with a woman who police say was poisoned by this man who ultimately goes into a coma, goes into needing life support for days and then finally dies, you know, it's diabolical. Diabolical is absolutely the right word for that there. The text messages, which you can see them, we have them all on dailymail.com, are so disturbing because, as you mentioned in the intro, he said something about poisoning and and denied that he did it because he had done it in the past. I mean, considering our history, you may think that that is the case here, but I'm telling you, I didn't poison you. That is just such a red flag, and it almost seems too stupid to work. I mean, to know that you're poisoning someone, to know that you're ordering these things on Amazon and essentially having them delivered to you, and then to know that she's already suspicious of poisoning to turn around and throw up your hands is bizarre to me, especially considering the fact that he knew he was trying to allegedly kill her. So the result is going to be the same. People are going to look into it. But it seems that he searched for, quote, undetectable poisons, things that if she passed away or when she passed away, wouldn't raise anyone's suspicion to look at him, not thinking that what is detectable are your Google searches for undetectable (laughs) poisons. It's giving me Brian Walsh vibes. People are just... 
they're thinking in terms of the physical evidence and never in terms of the digital evidence. And that leaves the most damning footprint, at least in a lot of the cases that I've worked on. Absolutely. I mean, and then you line it all up. What's interesting is that it doesn't appear, at least, that she shared her concerns about being poisoned with the hospital or doctors because, as we will reveal and is a fascinating part of this case, that it was actually his co-workers at the dental office who figured out what was going on when this box of a biohazard material arrives. He says to one employee, listen, I have a personal package that's coming and don't open it. Okay, so that employee listens to him, does not open it. But another employee sees the box, opens it up, sees, whoa, biohazard, and is like, what is this? Do we need this for the practice? She Googles it, and and all of a sudden, it clicks for her that the symptoms of exposure to this chemical match what Angela is suffering currently in the hospital. She then calls the other dental partner and says, hey, this is really weird. What do you think? And when the dental partner, who happens to be his best friend from dental school, right, goes to the hospital to figure out what in the world is going on with the wife, says something to the nurses. The nurse is a mandatory reporter, calls the cops. Angela is declining. The cops arrive and they start an investigation and start backtracking everything. And then through all of their search warrants for his records, the house, the office, they start piecing together all this evidence of the affair because he's sending all these raunchy. Oh, yeah, we haven't even gotten into that. The (laughs) reason perhaps why this all went down, the affair and the new life he apparently wanted to start with an orthodontist from Texas. And apparently, according to friends and family, and this is all in court records, it is not the first time that he has cheated on her. And not only multiple affairs, uh, claims to have an addiction to porn. So, oh, he's bankrupt. He's been bankrupt one time on the verge of another bankruptcy. So his entire world is falling apart here. And again, You know, people always seem to think that they can, they're the smartest in the room and they can fool everyone. But I really have to give credit to the team in his dental office for literally getting all the pieces of the puzzle and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sadly, it was too late for Angela. It's too late. You know, it's it's funny that you, you say that his life sort of was falling apart at that point. The latest reporting that we have on DailyMail.com about his finances almost paints a picture that his life had already fallen apart and he was putting the puzzle pieces together to start anew because he had filed for bankruptcy personally and professionally a few years back. The personal bankruptcy was just about wrapped up in July and the one for his dental practice was in the final stages of wrapping up. So those loose ends of being in the hole, I mean, he did, he was millions of dollars in the hole, couldn't get his head above water with finances, made a lot of really bad investments in cryptocurrency that just damaged his you know, his his fortune significantly. But those issues were kind of coming on an upswing. So it looks to me that as they were sort of wrapping up and he has this relationship with another woman in a different state, an orthodontist who is presumably successful, probably doesn't have those cryptocurrency investments. It looks like what he was trying to do was put a nice little bow on his old life and move on to a new life 
where he didn't have the financial burdens. I don't know what his plan was for those poor six children who are the real victims in all of this, in addition to, you know, to his poor wife who passed away. And he was just going to go live it up in in Texas with with this other with this other woman who he was and we have these text messages too who he was conversing with and texting with and making plans with while his wife was deteriorating in the hospital and as police say at his own hand and he even flew her out she was actually according to court records was out in Colorado at the time that Angela was struggling now we want to be absolutely clear here there is absolutely no indication from authorities that she had any idea any idea that Dr. Jim over here was behind all this. She just thought that Angela was ill and it was a horrible time. In fact, if you read the email from the orthodontist to Dr. Jim, um, she actually was quite sensitive in the email saying, I'm so sorry for everything you're going through. It's inappropriate for me to be out here to, to even be exposed to your family, to confuse them. I don't want to lie to them. It's inappropriate. So being very, very sensitive to the situation that there is a family that is falling apart because the mother is seriously ill and in in decline. So again, we want to be absolutely clear here. According to authorities, this was Dr. Jim's plot that he hatched and And he is the only one charged and the only one charged now before we get into more of the details here caitlin you know his he was a popular dentist in the sense that his patients really loved him and if you look at his photos not the ones from court and not the mugshot but he looks rather like happy and gregarious and and when we're going to play this promotional video from the summerbrook dental group that he produced. It's on his website because you're just going to see what a jovial kind of guy he is, which is, I think, what's so perplexing for people who knew him and for his patients. Uh, Let's play that clip. My name is Dr. Jim Craig and I practice at Summerbrook Dental Group. My approach to dentistry begins with sincerely listening to the patient and wanting to find out more about where they're coming from and what they're looking for and what they want. I also have a very strong philosophy that a happy team makes happy patients. And we have such a wonderful team here at Summerbrook. There's really no weak links. And I love hearing patients talk to me about how the positive interactions with my staff have affected their comfort level at the office. That's one of the hallmarks of Summerbrook Dental is that we try to be happy here. So what do you make of this, Caitlin? Does this man look like a killer based on that disposition? He looks like a goofball. He looks like an affable goof. He looks like a de- I can't believe I'm saying this. He looks like a dentist I might want to go to because maybe I, you won't. If you're nervous at the dentist, you won't be when you're you're with Dr. Jim because he seems like, a, you know, kind of a good time. I don't know how good he was at dental work, but, you know, he wasn't he doesn't strike me as scary. Right. He doesn't strike me as a porn addict. He doesn't strike me as someone who is carrying on multiple affairs over the years. And he doesn't strike me as a killer. None of those things are evident in this video. So to think that that was all lurking under beneath this case is very troubling because you never know who you're dealing with. You don't. You don't. And when you look at the photos and the video of him in court, it's a totally different persona. Obviously, it's a very serious situation, and these are serious charges. But, you know, I always say sometimes I'll see a photo or a mugshot, and I'll, or, or I'll get a vibe from, 
someone who's accused or convicted and I'll say, oh my God, you know, they have crazy eyes, as I call it. Um, and I don't quite see this here, which I know means absolutely nothing, but I think that's why this is so perplexing. Also the fact that they were a Mormon family, which is why I think Angela didn't leave him. She, he wanted a divorce. He, he says he had shared with people in the practice, his partner and the others there, that he had asked Angela for a divorce. So clearly he wanted out. Um, it doesn't appear that Angela wanted a divorce. It appears she wanted to work on her family. And if you read the text messages between the couple, they actually sound very loving. Like it doesn't sound like a couple that's fighting. I wonder how much of that is by design, though. I mean, if he... Dr. Jim here appears to have done, I'm not going to say a good job covering his tracks, but made an attempt to cover his tracks. So I do wonder how much of that he was thinking about perhaps someone seeing or reading in the future, because that message where he said, well, wasn't me, didn't poison you. I know that's triggering. Wasn't me. Seemed like something that wasn't exactly for an audience of one. It was for perhaps who might see this in the future. Mm -hmm. And that um, poisoning, that alleged attempted poisoning from five, six years ago that's referenced in court records. So apparently his version of what happened back then is just as crazy and convoluted as the rest of his life. He claims that he was depressed, he wanted to kill himself, and that he poisoned his wife so to sedate her so this way if she saw him in the middle of his attempted suicide she wouldn't stop him or intervene that was his theory his theory is i will poison you before i get to myself really really it's so convoluted ridiculous it makes not a lick of sense and he went on after angela died to suggest that she had um issues with substances herself that she actually had overdosed a few times and she wasn't taking things that she shouldn't have been and she wasn't well and he was taking care of her and he was caring for her in those instances. There's no evidence, at least, that I have found to support any of that. Yeah, in fact, he told um, Child Protective Services, you know, when she's in the hospital, this is a big family and, it, you know, it's a social worker. He shared with the social worker, according to police, that... Angela had tried to kill herself, and that's why the poisons were ordered, and that's what was really going on, that she was despondent. She had tried several times. But the problem is, if she had tried to kill herself multiple times, as he says, in the house, and while not all of the children were in the house, most of them were, how is it possible that not one of them knew that their mother was depressed and didn't know that she had tried to kill herself several times? It's kind of hard to hide that in a house. And let's talk about those poisons a little bit. Not only is it hard to hide that attempt from such a busy house full of people, we're talking about poisons that were ordered from a dummy email account that police found that he had created and sent to his office. So in what world would someone who was trying to harm themselves have their husband order their poisons and send it to his office and then tell his colleagues not to open the boxes. It just, there is no rhyme or reason why that, that would work out. I mean, for someone who is a doctor and a dentist and seems like he went through a decent amount of schooling, he does not seem very bright when it comes to this. 
No, but I find when people are at the moment where all is either about to fall apart or to be revealed is when they come undone and they they mm. just have the dumbest ideas and reasonings for things. And I don't know how they talk. I always I always say to myself, like, at what point did you think this was a good idea? Did you not have like one moment of like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't, right? Don't we all have a moment? No, no. Apparently he did not. Now, um, what's interesting is that, according to police, he's gone back to this old playbook, this whole poisoning thing that he allegedly did years ago. So um, this latest episode, according to police, began on March 6th, and that is when Jim allegedly laced Angela's protein shake. They were working out. He made her a shake. There's even text messages back and forth. Thanks for making me the shake, blah, blah, blah. And police say that it was arsenic in that shake. Of course, a lot of toxicology reports were still waiting on a lot of information. But this is their theory because an Amazon package arrived on March 4th, two days earlier, that had the arsenic that he had ordered. So that's why they think this is the timing. And as you said, it didn't seem to be working so well. So then he goes and he orders something else, you know, a few days later. Now, here's another point of comparison. Angela had been out in Utah between March 1st and the 5th, right? She gets sick on the 6th. She's out visiting a friend. Friend tells police she was fine. There's nothing wrong with her. Nothing wrong with her until she comes into the orbit of her husband, and then and they were, he put it in her protein shake because <laughs> she was working out and exercising. This appears to, to me from where I'm looking like a healthy woman to have gone from being someone who was with her friends who, like you said, they saw no signs of issue to someone who was working out, who's probably busy with the six kids to completely plummeting downhill so quickly. Of course, it's going to raise some suspicions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so we, we know the poisoning, according to police, you know, allegedly began March 6th. And Angela had several trips to the hospital and she complained of headaches, vomiting, low blood sugar. Um, and again, finally went on life support and then died. What's interesting is what happened over the course of these few weeks. She keeps going back to the hospital and they can't figure out what's wrong with her. You know, they cannot figure this out. So um, as they can't figure it out, as we said, the dental team is figuring all of this out. And now we're going to get to some other dates so we can figure out like what was in that box with the biohazardous material. So on March 13th, okay, a package is discovered and it has potassium cyanide in it. And that is the one discovered by the employees. Now, and this is the third poison just to be. Yeah, there's the another poison in poison. the middle there. Yeah, yeah. Right. So this is the third one now, according to police. The one in the middle, according to court records, was intercepted um, somehow by FedEx. You know, I, I or they or police tried to intercept that one. I, once they finally realized what in the world was going on here. So a lot of moving parts and her again, her symptoms matched exposure to this potassium cyanide. So now she's getting worse and she suffers a seizure. And as we said, that's when ding, 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 the bells are going off for everyone in the practice and the partner actually goes to the hospital, tells the team what's going on, and then the police get involved. Okay, now it is three days after that biohazard box has been delivered. 
Angela is dying. Now, I want to give you this timeline so you can understand how there was not a lot of time, even after the, the discovery of this alleged plot, there was not a lot of time to save Angela. And so now that the detectives are at the hospital and Jim gets questioned by both doctors and the detectives, you know, the reports are like, he bursts out crying and he loses it. You know, that's like when you catch the child red-handed, right? Or the dog or the cat with the dead mouse, right? Um, right. I, just such an overblown reaction for someone up until that point. There's no reports that he was emotional and at, at all. I mean, and we don't know if he was, but it seems odd that all of a sudden he's losing it. Right. In fact, he's making jokes on the text messages back and forth with his wife and other people. He's making jokes, you know, and I know people and, do that. And trying to get his mistress in town and trying to canoodle with his mistress. So let's not let's not get it twisted that he was some grieving spouse at this point. Mm. So the search warrants. This would be the 16th. A lot happens on March 16th. Police descend. They get, um, they start taking all the cell phones, the laptops. They're going to the house, to the businesses. And that is when a lot of information is discovered. Angela is still alive, but she is dying. And I think by the time the cops figure this out, again, the timing of this, there was no way of saving Angela. So that's when they uncover these emails. They figure out he's having this affair. He... They see that he searched for top five undetectable poisons that show no signs of foul play. Right. He wanted to make sure nothing showed up. That's on so this. specific. It's very specific, right? It's very, very specific. Um, you know, and then when they see the text exchange, and they already know about the possibility of poisoning here, you know, where Angela says, I feel drugged. This is going all the way back to March 6th, the very beginning of the month. And he responds, given our history, I know that must be triggering. Oh, please give me a break. And he says declaratively, just for the record, I didn't drug you, you know. Right. For who? For whose record? For whose record are we saying that? Yeah, I just... Well, what I found really fascinating were all the text messages after Angela dies, after Angela dies, they're in the court. I mean, it's like, I love reading these court records. It's fascinating. It's like a movie to me. The, um, they have these text messages between Jim and his partner and, and Angela's passed away and Jim is scolding his partner for daring to tell the police his theory. He said, if you had just come to me first, I could have explained everything to you. And now look at this mess you've created. And I don't want you talking to the cops at all. And he's like basically threatening him. He said the same thing to members of the church as well. Threatened, it threatened the church members. I don't know if it was exactly a threat, but also instructed them not to talk to law enforcement. So it seems like he's trying to sort of buffer himself with this. In addition to that, we have some exclusive reporting that on the 19th of March, so this is just a couple of days after Angela died, he asked members of the church and his business partner friends to come over and help him clean up his house which may or may not at that point be a crime scene. That's a concern. What are, you, what are you cleaning? And also, why are you having people help you if you're trying to cover things? I mean, his actions are strange afterwards. Also, it was interesting that he was complaining that on the night that Angela passed, he couldn't go home. He had a car full of children, grieving children. Okay. And if you were to believe the police, they are grieving because of his alleged actions. 
a car full of grieving children who cannot even go home to grieve, you know, their mother's passed away because the cops have cordoned off the entire home. And, and then, you know, so it's all about that. He's playing the defender of the children where now you have children without a mother and really without a father because he's behind bars. It's tragic. And this is six children. I mean, no matter what, it seems like they would have been left sort of in the lurch had he gotten away with the alleged crime that he's accused of. I wonder what the plan was for the kids. I mean, as I had mentioned earlier, it seems like he was kind of setting up for this new life in addition to his you know, financial stuff getting wrapped up and the affair that he was having, the orthodontist that he was having an affair with was in the process of getting a divorce. So she was almost in the clear of that relationship too and had two children. So I don't know, was the plan to sort of Brady Bunch these two families together and completely start over and forget about that old life? Or were, was he going to sort of leave the children in the hands of Child Protective Services? I don't know. I don't know what happens to these children, to these minor yeah. children. You know, they generally try to find someone within the family and try and keep all the children together. So I don't know what this means in this case. And um, Angela's sister started a GoFundMe page, and she's obviously close and very active with the children. This is a mess. I mean, so he doesn't have any money, right, because he's bankrupt, and he's got a mounted defense, whatever that's going to be, and he's entitled to it. He's innocent until proven guilty. And then you have six children, you know, a few of them who are adults and out, two of them, I think, are out of the house. But, like, what happens to them? How, what? I don't even know. I don't even know. I it's... And Particularly for trial, you have to wonder what they saw or interacted with their parents and if they're going to have to live through this tragedy in a sort of different way called to the stand to to testify i mean they're the ones with the first hand account of what it was like inside that home and inside the relationship it's really heartbreaking i mean it's easy to get caught up in the stupidity of some of the google searches and the dummy email accounts and the affair but then to just take a step back and say that these are there are six children who not only lost their mother but like you said lost their father as well yeah, and if it all was because he wanted out of his current life, there are so many ways of achieving that. He actually could have done, he could have just left. He could have just left. You know, I'm not saying that that's an honorable thing, but it is so much better than murder. So much better than Certainly. murder. Um, I, this was slow, slow torture. It really was to, to see how she declined over the, the course of weeks and was suffering through all those symptoms because... Her symptoms, no wonder the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. Her symptoms also were sort of in flux because she was ingesting, according to these court documents, three different type types of substances, which would have made the body react a little differently. So every time she came back in, it was a different substance causing her symptoms. So they kind of had to start from from square one. And like you said, by the time they figured it out, she was so rapidly declining that it was too late. I really wish that she had said something about the drugging and the poisoning immediately to the doctors because mm -hmm. maybe there would have been an opportunity to save her life. And I, I guess she just couldn't believe that he would do this to her. Um, and by the time everyone else figured it out again, they lost precious time in trying to save her. It's just so tragic. And this is a case which like, you know, everyone is talking about everywhere I've gone in the last week, whether I'm at the grocery store, because people are always asking me about crime cases. This is the one everyone wants to talk about constantly 
everyone is obsessed with this case. So we are going to follow this one for you, just so you know, um, just to give you a few dates of what's coming up. So we know that he was arrested on March 19th, formally charged on the 23rd. Uh, his next court date is scheduled for April. Caitlin, do you know if he's entered a plea yet? I don't know, actually. Yeah, I didn't see I, it anywhere. But again, I, yeah, I didn't see it. And you don't always have to in the be, you know, in the in the beginning, you don't always have to enter the plea. We know, of course, in the Koberger case, Brian Koberger has yet to enter a plea, but he will have to at his preliminary hearing. So I have not seen anything to that effect yet. Yeah. So again, a reminder, innocent until proven guilty. And we'll see where this case goes, because this is just the tip of the iceberg as far as the digital search. There's going to be so much more. Once police have a little bit of time and they have time to figure out what was really in her body, that will tell you a lot. Our next case is out of Winter Park, Florida, where a woman is accused of killing her boyfriend by suffocating him and stuffing him in a suitcase of all things. Now, we covered this case when it originally happened back in February of 2020 because it's so bizarre to, even if they're playing a drinking game, if because we don't really know what the heck happened in there, that even if that's what was going on, you know, how do you fit a person in a suitcase? Like, you know, maybe a five-year-old thinks that that's a good thing to do, but an adult, come on now. And, and when you see this video of the suitcase, wiggling, jiggling, and bouncing with him in it and him calling for help. And she took the video. Police say that's her video that she took. And you can hear her responding to him and laughing at him while he is asking for help. It's really creepy. This was one of the harder things I've had to watch because I'm claustrophobic. So to see a video of a human being zipped in a suitcase begging for air begging for help and being taunted it's really disturbing it is also going to be really hard to mount a defense against that i mean she took the video and by all accounts said that she zipped zipped him up in there um i think her story changed a little bit that at one point she said maybe he zipped himself in there and then she said she zipped it but didn't close it all the way left a little two fingers of space so he could get out but then used a paper clip because there wasn't a zipper it's a very this is a twisted case very twisted and these two have a long history of domestic violence where each one of them at some point has been accused arrested of harming the other one so it's so clearly that at least is reflected in the police record and the court records that they were very abusive to each other that is absolutely clear so the question now is was this a game that you know went sideways or was it maybe a game that was really her way of getting back at him we may never know the answer to that but one thing is for sure he's dead he's dead and he was in that suitcase for hours that's the shocking part. So we're talking about 42-year-old Sarah Boone, who's been charged with second-degree murder in the death of her boyfriend, 42-year-old Jorge Torres Jr. And Sarah allegedly left that man zipped in that suitcase for hours while he suffocated and died. She originally said, right, drunken game of hide-and-seek. Now, according to her testimony, Sarah said that they shared a bottle of wine on the evening of February 23rd of 2020, completed puzzles. Oh, just like your typical loving couple doing a cup and doing a little puzzle at night with a little wine. And then they played board games. It's like the Brady Bunch here. They're so innocent. And then they engage in a game of hide and seek. 
This is her original story. I know you're not buying it, Caitlin. Of course not. <laughs> That's where you lose me. A board game, sure. A bottle of wine. Hey, I'm dead been there. You're playing hide and seek in your 40s. And also, you're, I'm sure you're about to explain, playing it wrong. Yeah, that's right. Because, yeah, you're supposed to hide by yourself. <laughs> and then the other person is supposed to find you. You're not supposed to put the person in the suitcase and zip them up, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So um, she then claims that she fell asleep that um, because she had a lot to drink. So she goes upstairs, falls asleep. Phone rings, things like that. But he's still downstairs and she claims that she assumed Jorge got himself out of there. And at about 11 o'clock, she goes downstairs and it and it's the shocking revelation. What a surprise. The man is still in the suitcase, except now he is dead. He is dead. And this part I find very confusing, Caitlin. She does not call 911 immediately. She calls her ex-husband who comes over. What is this about? The, the crazy thing is he comes over, takes one look at it and says, call the police. That should absolutely have been been your first move. There are a lot of issues even leading up to this point when she first called police and that 911 call is odd. She doesn't sound she sounds almost a little annoyed with the 911 operator when she's on the phone with them. Um, she says she's done doing C done, done CPR, doing CPR, and the 911 operator is like, do not talk to me. You count and you do these compressions. You do CPR. I, at this point, Jorge is has been dead for some time now, so CPR is, is not helping anyone, but when police arrive, when the first thing she says is, she goes on and on about how I don't like getting drunk and I wasn't drunk and we weren't drinking and there was no drinking. We might have had a glass of wine, but we weren't drunk. And then as we the story progresses, we learn that she there was a bottle of wine and maybe she had drank a lot. And then by the time we see that video, you hear her slurring these taunts and insults in the background. She sounds to me like she was six sheets to the wind or three, how many, however many sheets to the wind. Many, many sheets. Sound like that. <laughs> many, many sheets. sheets. You know, she sounds like that. And then goes to, goes to bed, goes to bed, wakes up at 11, lays in bed for a little while. And her ex was apparently, according to some records and interviews, trying to get a hold of her to see if she was going to pick up their son from school because she has a history of substance abuse issues with alcohol and maybe sometimes didn't, uh, wasn't as reliable as she could have been with her son. So he's calling her back and forth. So he ends up being her first call when she finds Jorge in a suitcase, in her own words, stiff and purple. And you don't call emergency services. You don't call the police. You don't call 911. You call your ex. That's a problem right yeah. there. Like There is a part of me that can comprehend that if she was indeed intoxicated and went upstairs and fell asleep and forgot about Jorge in the suitcase, that that is possible, right? That is possible. The part that is the problem is kind of leaving him in the suitcase for as long as she did. Like if they were going to play the game, it could have happened for a few minutes and then let him out. Um, I think we played a little bit of it at the top of the podcast, but I really want to play this video because... I think it's important, as you said, Caitlin, to listen to her speech that is slurred. So it appears that she's intoxicated. And I don't know if that will, to some degree, be a mitigating factor. I have no idea. 
And then also you hear him and it, it kind of goes back and forth between like, Sarah, 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 and then pleading, you know, because so it's really important to hear her in her own words, laughing at him and kind of basically saying, this is payback. Here's the clip of Jorge in the suitcase. For everything you've done to me. Sarah. For everything you've done to me. Sarah. Fuck you. Sarah. <laughs> Fuck you. Sarah. <laughs> Stupid. Sarah. That's my name. Don't wear it up. Sarah. I can't fucking breathe, babe. Seriously. Yeah, that's when you do when you choke me. Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> Sarah, I can't breathe, babe. That's on you. Sarah, I can't breathe. <laughs> that's on you. Sarah. Sarah, I can't. I can't breathe, babe. Oh. That's what Sarah. I feel like when you chewing on me. Caitlin, it's just so disturbing that that video is so disturbing, but I do believe it is the absolute strongest piece of evidence in this case. I agree with you 100%, but I do think that it's also going to be used in in her defense. I mean, some of the things that she was saying as she was taunting him was, this is what happens. This is what I felt like when you choked me. I couldn't breathe when you strangled me. So she's kind of pointing to this history of abuse within the relationship. And they had been, the two of them had been over the course of their, I think it was something like three years of their relationship. They had been arrested and involved in domestic disputes a number of times on both sides. But her, I think what I'm hearing was it sounded a little like, revenge that mm -hmm. you did this to me you beat me and now now i'm in control now i'm the one who can can hurt you yes it sounded sadistic yes it was difficult to watch but could you convince a jury that this was a an abused and a battered victim who finally found an opportunity maybe she snapped under that to to seek some sort of justice for what had been done for her. And I think that's exactly what her defense team is going to do. Yeah. And that's what they're talking about. It'll be interesting. I mean, that defense has certainly worked in the past when, when the person has truly been at the hands of an abuser and they fought back in self-defense. I think the question here is how can this be in any way a self-defense component of that argument when she's sitting on the couch giggling and Jorge's in the suitcase and can't touch her. So. And she never indicates that. And she actually flat out says we didn't get into it that night. We didn't brawl. Everything was fine. There was nothing that precipitated this. You know, there was no violence ahead of time. So she's almost hamstrung her defense team in that theory, because in her own words, she told investigators that there was no physical altercation or abuse leading up to this. As you said, they were playing a game, hide and seek. I can't fathom how 40 some year olds are playing hide and seek. Maybe if I'm drunk and having a good time, I, I guess that's not how it's played. 
putting someone in a suitcase is not hide and seek. If you as a parent found your children playing hide and seek and someone got in the suitcase, the first thing you would oh say God. is absolutely not. Do not do that. You could get hurt. You can. So the fact that he was in the suitcase at the onset is so strange to me because my number one question is how did she convince him to get in a suitcase and allow her to zip him up? My guess is, my guess is he didn't see it as an immediate threat or danger, may have thought it's funny. It's like, let me show you, I can fit myself into a suitcase. People do kooky things, you know, and it could have been as simple and as innocent as that. And then it took its turn. Bizarre, yes. But the games that people play behind closed doors, I mean, it is not for me to judge how people enjoy themselves. So Sarah was charged with Jorge's murder and then placed under arrest on Tuesday, February 25th of 2020. She was booked into the Orange County Jail in Florida. Um, You mentioned a lot about the history of domestic violence here. Each had been arrested on battery charges against the other. Um, Sarah had been charged with battery by strangulation in 2018 for an attack on Jorge. At that time, she told investigators that Jorge had kicked her in the head, which led to her strangling him. Jorge then claimed that he was not the aggressor and that and that only kicked Sarah to stop her from incapacitating him. Then a year later, in 2019, Jorge was reportedly arrested for battery on three different occasions, including in September, after Sarah alleged that Jorge had punched her in her left ear. So there have been several delays since this, this crime happened in 2020, delays in this trial. Uh, for numerous reasons, uh, she's made all sorts of ac- a- accusations that the judge is not responsive because, of course, it's always someone else's problem. You know, you, we also had the, the pandemic in the middle of that, you know, right? <laughs> because you're never responsible for your own actions and why you're sitting in a jail. Um, it's important that she has not been charged with murder one premeditated that they went with second degree. So it'll be interesting as to how this goes when it proceeds. But she is taking a different turn now with her attorneys going for this defense, claiming that she is indeed um, suffering from battered spouse syndrome. And that may very well be true, given all the history here. Um, Absolutely. This will will be for a jury. Mm -hmm. But at the time, she I don't think it was. And there were any reports that she had any sort of bruising or lacerations or anything on her body. But when they discovered Jorge's body in the suitcase, he was covered in cuts and bruises to his hands, to his back. And a neighbor reported hearing a really loud thud, almost as if, and there were some theories that this happened in the bedroom because that's where the suitcase was originally located. She said they had had the suitcase out because they were going to donate some clothes, but there's a working theory. And, you know, we don't have the evidence to support this yet, that it happened upstairs and that she perhaps shoved him down the stairs in the suitcase because he died from, I think it's called positional asphyxiation. And if that's not the exact term, that's essentially what it is where he had gotten himself flipped upside down in the suitcase. And I think she admitted that she did flip the suitcase to police. Mm. I'd have to check that again. Um, And that's because, 
because he got himself in a position where his body prevented him from breathing. It wasn't the suitcase that's himself that suffocated him. So you add all of that together and then her taunts and the fact that she said they didn't fight that day and she had no bruises on her. Maybe it is battered woman syndrome, but I think it's going to be hard to convince a jury that she was acting in any kind of self-defense in that instance, in that night. Yeah. And her joking and making fun in that video shows her state of mind. She thought it was a joke, right? Uh, she even said mm -hmm. that. Listen to her tone. She tells her own story of what happened that night in real time on that video. Again, the most damning piece of evidence in all of this. So she's got another pre-trial hearing scheduled for March 28th with a possible trial date of April 10th. That should be interesting if they sit a jury for this. If convicted on second degree murder charges, Sarah could face 16 years to life. We have no idea which direction this is going in, but we will keep following this case. It is time for our comments section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on social media, and our producer, Will Updike, is here now. Hey, Will. Hey, how's it going? Good. Great to see you, Caitlin. Uh, so Hi. this week, <laughs> we have a case of a shoplifter getting caught and then taking a little something extra on their way out. So this one comes out of Washington County, Oregon, where a 31-year-old woman has been sentenced to just over six years in prison for stealing from a Nordstrom store and biting off a security guard's ear. Now, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Uh, so according to the Washington County District's Attorney Office, uh, this incident dates back to July 2nd of 2022, where Ashley Ruth Clark, the convicted here, stole over $800 worth of merchandise from the Nordstrom at the Washington Square Mall. And as she was leaving, loss prevention officers confronted her with the theft. Uh, she, at this point, you know, physically resists. She's yelling obscene comments as they're trying to get these stolen items back. And in the struggle with these loss prevention officers and Clark here, she reportedly bites one of the security guards on the ear. And this is according to the district attorney's office. She removed at least a half an inch of the victim's earlobe. So that feels like quite a bit. I mean, that's most of my earlobe. Uh, so Clark, uh, when this incident happened, she allegedly had two outstanding warrants for her arrest. So she gives officials a false name, false date of birth. She's still booked into Washington County Jail for second degree assault, first degree robbery. And then they find out about these warrants and who she really is. And so she has two additional holds for reckless driving and larceny. Uh, so on Friday, March 24th uh, this month, Clark pleaded guilty to the second degree assault and first degree robbery. Uh, and she was sentenced to 70 months in prison, followed by three years of supervised release. Uh, the district attorney office said that after the assault, the victim was transported to the hospital. And this is the saddest part of this whole thing. Oh. Apparently, the earlobe could not be surgically reattached. Uh, so very unfortunate. Somebody here just trying to do their job ends up with a little bit less of their earlobe. Uh, but people had a lot to say about this one. I'm just going to get this out of the way. A lot of people had a lot of Mike Tyson things, a lot of Mike yes. Tyson comments. It seems like too low hanging a I'm sorry. I appreciate y'all. Uh, but those aren't those aren't going to make it on the show today. Uh, we had Alicia's A who actually gave some legal advice. They said never commit a felony to get out of a misdemeanor, which I think yes. is very important to note. Only eight hundred dollars worth of theft here. Uh, I don't know if it was really worth escalating to that point. From what I could tell, I, I didn't see anything on on whether there was any sort of like drugs involved or anything like that. I, I'm, I'm not sure. It seems like maybe this uh, the convicted here just really wanted these items from Nordstrom and, and was willing to do anything to, to get with them. Uh, Jay, we got a bunch of people who were um, 
kind of interested, I guess, in this su- in, in this suspect, uh, the convicted rather. Uh, but J.C. Paisley said, I can fix her. And we got a lot of comments very similar to this. I don't know what your dating pool is. I, I don't know what your situation is. But uh, if you've heard that someone has bitten off someone's ear and you're like, yes, that's the one to jump in on. Um, I I. I think you should. I think you could do better. I, I think you could do better for yourself there. Um, and then, of course, we got a ton of puns on this one. You know, any, any, anytime you can work an ear into a pun, people oh, are going to go for it. Uh, Anthony said, "How irritating would this be?" Mm. I think it. I, I think it passes irritating. It, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit worse than that. Uh, e money said, "How irrational." Which we do talk about irrational responses to, um, you know, to regular circumstances, like even the dentist, like, hey, man, maybe just get a divorce, move on with your new move on with your new wife. Hey, maybe just give the items back, you know, get booked for for, for the theft, move on with your life. Um, but Vega A uh, said uh, they were going to use the guard as a witness, but she can't attend the hearing. Um, oh no poor woman that one was kind of good it was pretty good that's the pretty good that was that one was one of my favorites (laughs) great setup great punchline way to go vega a you have my comment of the week um but yeah this is uh this is another crazy story i i I don't know caitlin you know you're really plugged into the news we had at least two cases uh in the last year of somebody biting a nose off or a portion of a nose um it's it's been a it's been a weird time for uh for losing for losing extremities it seems like in crime I guess when you're backed up against the wall, you kind of just do whatever you can think of in the moment. Your instincts kind of take over. You know, I just saw a shoplifting on Saturday at Target and it was completely without incident. I now hearing this story, I was expecting something to happen. It was four teenage boys walking out of Target. They guys came up to them and they were like, what's in your backpacks? And they're like, nothing. And then they just opened their backpack and it was T-shirts. Bunches of T-shirts, like a water bottle, a book, and they they just took it from them and sent them on their way. And there was no ever everyone left with every single inch of their ear. That is good. Oh wow, that is yeah. Really no, good. that's best case scenario. And I mean, it seems yeah. Like the, they just the, took it from them and let them. And, wow. and the kid, I mean, that's best case scenario for the kids in that one too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you don't you don't want these things to escalate. But then I saw something very bizarre in Hollywood this week that really surprised me. I was going through a church parking lot because I was on my way to do some service for the Assistance League of Los Angeles for some homeless girls. There is a man walking through the parking lot, blasting music crazy loud. A woman, this young woman who's walking a chihuahua, goes up to the guy, is a complete stranger. She yells at his face and says, this is a church, turn that down. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, we're all gonna die, we're all gonna die. She not only got in his face, she slapped his body and tried to take you know, the speaker away from him. And what I cannot believe is that she survived, that he didn't attack her, he didn't turn his music down, and she still got to tell him to stop it because it was, you know, sacrilegious to be playing this loud music in a church parking lot. And I'm like, I can't believe, I can't believe she had the balls to do that. Can you imagine? Uh, I would in Hollywood. never do that. I think, oh, yeah, I mean, we're, I live right near Venice, and there, I would not be saying anything to anyone who's playing loud music like that. I would just go on my merry way. So there I, you go. Yeah. 
I'm way too I'm way too non-confrontational. Yikes. I uh, came out of a mall. I'm pretty <laughs> confrontational, so maybe I, actually I, I, might. <laughs> I came out of a mall and saw a guy stealing the front tire off my bicycle, and I said, uh, "Excuse me, I'm sorry. That's actually my my bike tire." I, I said sorry before I <laughs> before I got the, the I got the tire back, but um, yeah, it, it, I'm very I'm non-confrontational to a fault. So wow. But you stopped you're not going to see me biting. You're not going to see me biting any noses and yeah. ears off. Uh, you can oh, we're holding you to that, Will. Don't say things you cannot live up to. <laughs> yeah, I make no promises in that regard. <laughs> no, no promises in that regard. Well, if I ever do get caught, uh, I'm sure everybody can let me have it in the comments section. But that is going to do it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And I will see you all next week. Bye, Will. Caitlin, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the program. I hope that you come back again. I love talking with reporters. Oh, my gosh, please. Yes. Have me back anytime. I could sit here and talk to you. I could wax poetic about crimes with you all day long. I love it. Where can people find you, follow you on social media? You can follow me on social media on I never use Twitter anymore. Thanks, Elon Musk. But on Instagram at Caitlin Becker. And I am all over the Daily Mail TikTok, assuming we don't get banned. And I cover true crime all day long on that. And so our best content is there. And then, of course, you can see me all over every show covering all the cases. News Nation, Court TV, Fox News, KTLA, and of course, DailyMail.com. I've got some really good videos coming up. Um, about the Koberger case and the Idaho case. So definitely check check the website to see what I'm doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, you can find me at Anna G News on all social, and you can find this episode of the podcast along with all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, truecrimedaily.com. Sign up for our newsletter, truecrimedaily.com as well. Uh, until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. This is True Crime Daily, the podcast. And as we always say, don't do crime. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University, Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University, Maryland's forensic science programs today.